to this is hardcore podcast you just heard sectors the mark which is the first of two tracks we're going to play tonight off of the bad meets evil split between raw life from new jersey and sector from chicago so let's roll with raw life now Yeah. 
was Raw Life, Living in Spite. It's a cool split 7-inch on Death Barn Records. You can check it out. It just dropped last weekend. And give some love to Raw Life and to Sector. We're going to have the links up on the episode page. Next week, we will have Paris Mayhew of the Chromax, who has come out with an incredible video, Chaos Magic. And I'll have links up so you guys can check this out. I got a lot out of the Paris interview. In fact, because of my friendship with JJ and my lack of a relationship with Harley, I feel much like everybody else that sometimes Paris doesn't really get a chance to speak. And the episode runs about three and a half hours, which is another reason why it's good that this Ezak one is going to be much shorter, especially after the Jeff G and the Aaron. I know some of these three-hour ones are pushing your patience a bit. And those who really enjoy this podcast really like the long ones. So, sorry guys, this one's going to be a little bit shorter. But for me, talking to Paris Mayhew, you got to give him three hours. I mean, he really delves deep into the origin of these songs and some not-so-talked-about things in Chromangs. And he does a pretty good job of not slinging mud in either direction of J.J. and Harley for the most part. And for me... If we're going to talk about New York hardcore and we're going to talk about classic hardcore in general, it goes without saying that the metallic influence put on the Cro-Mags Age of Quarrel is something that is constantly talked about on this podcast and in every single zine, every single interview. It's such an inspirational, absolutely foundation record that it's cool to talk to the person most responsible for the riffs that appear on that record. And just so you can glean from him how and what he was thinking as he wrote Age of Quarrel. After him, we go completely in a direction that is not only parallel, but goes beyond what Paris did. Richie Birkenhead, who would later be in Into Another, would start his career way before this. And I'm not even going to tell you how, because I think in the story it comes out way better. But needless to say, Richie Birkenhead is there at the very beginning of the beginning of New York Hardcore. And he would one day start underdog and then tour with possibly the greatest lineup for youth of today during the Break Down the Walls tour. But it's actually the kind of fuck you, I don't feel like being with the crowd mentality that Richie has that would spurn his interest into linking up with Drew and starting into another, which is a part of an entire different aspect of hardcore called post-hardcore you know, whatever else you want to call it. And for me, I grew up in the early 90s in hardcore. And though in love with like the life of agonies and the biohazards and the sick of it alls and the agnostic fronts and the mad balls, I was also completely mind blown about Into Another and Quicksand and these bands that were taking on the sonic sound of what probably what would be considered like a more commercially driven, like, you know, enterprise. But for me, I'm walking in, you know, ninth grade wearing into another shirt and no one knew what it was. So I felt like I was in a special club. I've seen them bands play and I was just mind blown that this is still a punk rock thing when it really comes down to it. And to talk to Richie about his thoughts and feelings when it was really special and whether you're a fan of any of these bands, Richie's impact in hardcore is absolutely worth the lesson, worth the listen And I think me and him go almost three hours. And then we have to roll into Walter Trevels. Walter is someone who 
name has touched so many fucking bands. It's unbelievable. From Gorilla Biscuits, Warzone, Youth of the Day, and then being in Quicksand, which, for those of you who are unfamiliar, would again be potentially the leader in the pack of the bands that would split off from the youth crew bands in the late 80s and be a band that, you know, headlined the first Warp Tour, got on MTV, they got on the Billboard charts. Like, this is some major shit from a kid who grew up in Rockaway Beach, would find hardcore later again in Queens, and would tour with Kraut. His story is fucking fantastic, and the saddest thing is there's just so much to Walter. We really only get it two hours in, and we really just get to the beginning of Quicksand before he had a roll. So there definitely will be a Walter Part 2 episode coming down the line. For me, when I think about the kind of conversations I'd like to have, I know that the listeners like the Jeff G, and they like the rougher stuff, and there's a lot of soul-searching shit in Richie and Walter. But the younger people that I interact with, I want them to understand the linear progression and the ideas behind hardcore. And to also be able to resonate with the minds that began to shape and shift what hardcore would become way down the line when there is like a crop of three dozen bands that all want to be you today or Gorilla Biscuits. These guys went off and did this wild, heavy, groovy, darker shit that has nothing to do with the fast sing-along anthems that these bands were uh, most known for. And once we start talking to people like Darren Walters from J-Tree, you start to get an understanding about how the music at the time was managed from a label perspective and just how the people at the ground level who were you know, dealing with bands like Turning Point and would later see some of these amazing bands with a completely unbelievably different sound, how these bands would be transformed into potentially huge commercial enterprises. And Darren, as someone who I've gotten to know, to just be one of the most real DIY-born successful humans who would later go on to teach at a college because of his background in music is just a fantastic person to kind of give a background in just the kind of things that the people like Richie and Walter were dealing with as new sounds were coming onto the music market, so to speak, and how hardcore fit into the whole landscape. As a fan of 90s zines and as a pretty fucked up teenager, I drifted quickly to really dark, really chaotic sounds because it went well with the kind of emotions that I was going through. I had spent a summer sleeping on couches, sleeping out in a playground a couple nights, drinking 40s all night, just being absolutely fucking miserable. And then I got to sleep probably for three or four weeks straight in the bed with the coolest girl ever. We didn't even have sex. We just made out listening to stuff like Captain Jazz, Promise Ring, and Texas is the Reason. I absolutely got a insane amount of respect and emotional, I don't know what you call it, impact or just release from listening to these different kind of musics. Email every weekend I'm kicking people in the face for Hatebreed and E-Town and traveling. It's such a weird fucking dichotomy between sounds that I was like pushing into my head because I was going through all this bullshit. And so between my love of 90s zines and my absolute Texas is the reason worship, 
there was no better person to talk to than Norman Brandon. Just not only about him as a zine person and as an early New York hardcore skinhead, but also the kind of things that would influence him in Texas as a reason to once again push New York hardcore people in a completely different sonic direction. And I don't hear a lot of people talk about this because obviously we often chase personages down. We chase, we chase stories too often. You know, there's always this, you know, with the tough guys, it's beef. With other people, it's music deals. And I just wanted to hear the inspiration of a guy like Norman Brandon and what he felt, what he was listening to, and what spurned them to just be this band that just completely blew away so many people at that time. And I could tell you, I, I was mind blown the first time I seen Texas is the reason. I seen them for $6 at the First Unitarian Church, and it was completely something different. And I wasn't expecting it, and I just kind of followed my friends at a show. I didn't even know what they sound like, and it was life-changing. So when I think of where this podcast can go, there's so many guests, and this is a weekly show. So I wanted to run five episodes in a row where we talk about pioneers and we talk about people specifically who drove the direction of hardcore or who were there to explain and can show us how and why the things happened the way they did. I really wanted to just take a stretch like we did with the Jesus Peace guys. You know, Lewis kind of set us up with all this positive inspiration and the directions he was changing. And Aaron really just like fucking slam dunked it. And I was really happy with the response of people enjoying content that was connected week by week. And this Ezak episode is a lot of fun and we laughed our asses off. But going from 30 to 35, I really wanted to nail down some things that... As we continue as a weekly podcast, I could touch back on. For those who have listened through all the episodes or those who are catching up, you'll understand that I constantly reference old episodes. Not so so you would go back. This isn't a marketing ploy. It's because these conversations are ongoing and they're cyclical. And, you know, what I talk to one person about, you've listened to already or you may listen to. And I want the next person I'm speaking to to be involved in this conversation. We're all involved in these conversations, so to speak. So, for me, we're going to have a great episode with Isaac. It cracked me the fuck up. Believe me. Um, I know him on a personal level. I've had really great hangouts with him. I've seen him perform crazy shows. I've seen some wild backstage shit. But I know him as a human to be just a good guy. So, I knew after the depth of what Jeff G brought us last week that we could all lighten up a bit. And then, after this week, we're going to get serious, you know? And... For me, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling me when my audio sucks, especially you, Zach Barone. And thank you for supporting this. 30 episodes is pretty fucking crazy. Um, My life is not what it usually is, which is like everybody else out there. And having work to do after I'm done pouring concrete and after I'm done working on BJJ shit really is a foundation for my brain. And this podcast has brought me so much exciting things, people to talk to, ideas that I can share, and so much is uh, spoken on these DMs and these private messages where people ask me about specific things from these episodes. So to continue our conversation and to push the shit even further, I really wanted to do a longer stretch. So I hope you guys enjoy what's going to come 
from episode 30 to 35. In fact, next week is the first time that we're doing a YouTube version. I'm not really ready to do a weekly video show. Not only technically, like having the technical skills and having the setup and having the editing skills. It's just it's just a lot for me to still learn. It's only been six months in, and I just figured out how to use my microphone correctly. So to do justice to Paris and our first video episode, which will be episode 30, I brought in Sonny856. And his production skills and his editing skills really is the only reason why we're even doing a video episode. And I can't promise you we're going to have another one for quite some time. But fuck it, we're at 30 episodes, let's give it a shot. Going forward... I am going to start doing Patreon. I've said it a million times, but I really wanted to run six months. I wanted to show you that this isn't something that's going to go away. This isn't something that I'm going to just get too lazy to do. In fact, if anything, I've proven that I'll fuck up some audio, go back and fix it and try to make up for it. Just so that way, whether you're driving into work or you need to drive around in your car and just get the fuck out of your own head because COVID's fucked up our whole year and you need something to listen to, I'm going to make sure it comes out. And so... Being in episode 30, running into our early 30s, I finally feel confident actually getting some financial benefit. For I guess you would call it. I don't know what you would call Patreon. And um, I'm talking so long on this specifically because Isaac has given me about an hour to talk. And I didn't want to leave you guys completely short like a dry hand job with no finish. And so you get to hear me ramble on a little bit. I want to say thank you to every single person who's written me. I would like to say thank you to every single person that gives me their play-by-play. I know that you may think you're punishing me, but really I love it because to me, I think about this shit all day. I, you know, I grind concrete, I patch walls, I pour concrete every once in a while in, in these high-rise jobs. So my brain is constantly running as I'm listening to podcasts and I'm thinking about stuff. I even write notes down as I think about things. So knowing that this resonating, knowing that people will understand the direction I'm going, or actually, you're actually helping me influence the direction I could take this show. You are so fucking appreciated. Um, I'm not an easy guy to understand sometimes because my brain goes sometimes too fast. And I wanted to give something back to hardcore that wasn't just a show. Obviously, you know, this upcoming, you know, in two, three weeks will be 24 years of me booking my first real show. And so... It's been my life, man, and I I wouldn't change anything about it, but this new medium with the podcast, and it just gives me the ability to kind of talk to you and talk to you through other people so you can kind of understand where we came from, who the people are that got us there, and the kind of things that if you're a new person, you can fucking do. Everything you've heard from episode one to episode now, you can do. You might not be able to be Chris Bridge 9. You may not be able to be Zach Thorne, but you could be something better. You could be something smarter. You could do even off the backs of these people. This is all a foundation. So for you young guys, like, I can't do this. It's already been done. It's no, no, no. Fucking do it. And here's some blueprints for you, too. You know, we talk to people who are in their own businesses. Jamie Bissonette. Ernie Talbert is probably one of the smartest human beings I've ever been able to call a friend. And super inspirational. You know, we've had so many of myriad of guests so far, and there's only going to be more. But I really think that this podcast has given me a lot, and I love to hear that you guys have gotten a lot from it. We work on a lot more Patreon stuff. 
So that way you guys all throw some money or whatever the hell the fuck. I don't even really know how it works. Like, I'm still going to get Sunday to kind of teach me. But it's going to come out and we'll see how it works. I'll, I'll do this shit regardless. But I do appreciate people asking me how they can support. And I need you to understand that there's a point to running all these guests coming up. I'm actually sort of nervous. It sounds silly. But I feel like we talk kind of randomly to people at times and maybe that was just my excitement or me just just like grabbing at who could record the next week and having so many of these worked out in advance because I had a run really gave me the idea that I could make points and kind of keep things cropped together so we have something we can all talk about together be it in DMs via other guests and you'll hear in these episodes how I reference conversations that you're going to be heard or already heard with other guests it's kind of like a great way that we can all be tied in together. Our guests, our previous guests, and you, the listener. Most importantly, just thank you, thank you, thank you. Most of you followed, most of you subscribe, reposted goddamn things. These algorithms sucks, and I absolutely love that we're about to approach 30. I think it's kind of weird we're doing a video one. I am not a pretty dude. I hate the idea of my face on camera, but... When you get Paris May who wants to do the first video, you do the fucking first video. So I hope you enjoy the Ezak one. And then we've got five episodes in a row of some serious hardcore fucking classes to take. So I hope you're ready for it. Take care. We are closing in on 30 episodes. So before we really go deep into a whole new idea I have with the upcoming episodes that will follow, I wanted to have some fun guest on, someone who could tell a few things from his time, but... Due to our time constraints, we can only get him in for an hour to talk. Lord Isaac, or Danny Singer, or Danny Diablo, depending on how you wish to refer to him, is a figure who's synonymous with New York Hardcore and the DMS crew. But deep within him is a neighborhood kid who grew up in Queens in an era where the lines between hip-hop, hardcore, and heavy metal were crossing all in front of him like a myriad of New York train tracks. From his early teens to his early 20s, Isaac would grow from being a graffiti-writing hardcore kid to a roadie for sick of it all to the front man of one of the most enigmatic New York hardcore bands, Crown of Thorns. With top-end musicians like Mike Dijon, Franklin Ree, and Demi on drums, Isaac at the helm, Crown of Thorns would make its mark deeply with music that wasn't par for the course for what New York hardcore was known for at the time. In fact, so much so that the band was underrated, sometimes overlooked, and at times pigeonholed for just being another DMS band, while those who are fans of Train Yard Blues will know that there is a dark groove laden deep that is far beyond the average hardcore band for that time. With the time limit in place, I did a little background on him, we had a few laughs, and we talked to New York hardcore back in 1987, and growing up in the scene of not only graffiti, but New York and New York hardcore. And ultimately, we didn't go as deep as the Jeff G or the Aaron or previous guests, but it leaves a lot to talk about the next time we have him on the show. So, let's rock. We are talking to Lord Ezak, a.k.a. Danny Singer, a.k.a. Danny Diablo, one of the few humans who is known worldwide, not only for his graffiti tag, but just for his absolutely legendary stage presence and overall chaos that he brings in the most positive way possible. I, <laughs> this is, is going to be one of our shorter ones, so we're definitely going to bring you back on. E, thanks for coming on the show. Yo, Joe, thank you so much. Uh, much respect and love to you, my brother. So I, I said this on a previous podcast that I got locked up. My mother went ahead and went through the entire phone book and I was in County waiting to see if she got the lawyer. And the first thing out of her mouth was, 
I got easy to do a benefit show. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding the pay phone and I'm like, he's not going to do a benefit show. And then she's like, yeah, I called everybody. He said, I'll do it. And like, you know, the deal you're in lockup. You're just hoping to get a lawyer. And it's like, Oh, well, Isaac's on board. That's great. <laughs> you, know, you always show, you know, listen, you always show love and for, and for your mom to do that. Then that's like, that's, that's some real shit. You know what I mean like, and that's like, that's like a Philly. You're from Philly. And my and Philly 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 motherfuckers remind me of Queens motherfuckers. Basically, you know the same shit. You know what I mean like with like with, with neighborhood people and and that was that reminded me of something like what my aunt would do. You know what I mean so, so you mean know, for for me or something like that. So it was really cool and you know much love. You know, nah, sincerely. So what you touched on is what I'd like to get into it. Something that constantly gets brought up in different podcasts is the effect that Queens as a borough and the, and I know you're also part of Queens. Yeah, I mean, uh, specifically Rich McLaughlin, who just passed away. He right, had on his, <laughs> he just had on his Instagram previously. He could ride his bike and ride through so many different people's houses who are all connected through Queens. <laughs> so for me, I, obviously, we could talk. I mean, we could do a whole show on graffiti. We could do so many things. Yeah. What I want to talk to you about is the impact you had as a kid growing up in Queens and getting involved in hardcore, not because you went into CBGBs, but just from your own no. neighborhood. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, well, thank you. you know, this, that's the smartest and most innovative question I, as any podcast person has ever uh, asked me. So I'm going to tell you, Cheryl, you just made my fucking month. So the, the thing about Queens, growing up in Queens, is uh, to me, it was the best thing in the world. You know what I mean? Like, I, my, my mother's from Spanish Harlem. My father's from East New York, Brooklyn. So they have mad pride where they're from. So growing up, listening to them talk about Harlem and Brooklyn, I, and, I, and I was like, you know, always hear about both of them argue, and I'll be like, I'm for you. We live in Queens, you know. What I mean? So that this is the bro, and and in Queens is where I learned everything. I learned about different cultures. I, I grew up in Jackson Heights, Queens, the most uh, diverse, multicultural neighborhood in the world in the kids book world records. So that's even crazier. You know what I mean, so I grew up, you know, knowing what how a Sheik or a, 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 a Pakistanian or a Hindu, you know. A, 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 a guy, a guy, a Guyanese person, or just everything—Muslim, uh, Albanian—I knew from just looking at people and I got what different different cultures. I mean, and it helped me out a lot because when I traveled the world, I bumped into someone. They'd be like, "How do you know I'm so so?" I said, "Because I grew up in Queens, and I, and I had a, my, my next door family is Guyanese." I mean, so but Queens definitely is a mecca of the world in hip hop and hardcore. And people would say, "Why?" Because uh, Queens was like leeway, token entry. Uh, uh, run DMC, Gorilla uh, Biscuits, Gorilla Biscuits, The Killing Time, Killing Time. The Mob is from Jackson Heights. Yeah, Ralphie right? so, G. Ralphie G. He's from Jackson my neighborhood. In my neighborhood, I'm growing up and see kid and play all the time. You know what I mean? So you know, so it's like it's like damn, it's like all around me. You know, I see El Cuje on Jamaica Avenue. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm up. Um, who else? Uh, Eric B was from a neighborhood. So it's like you see these people all the time, Coogee rap. And I'm like, oh, then 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 in, in hardcore, it was like everyone, Murphy's Law, you mean Queens, all, yeah, all, Jimmy all, all, Astoria. Astoria. Astoria had Pizza Palace. Uh the the, 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 the also they they said the it was like Astoria was the Mecca. I mean, it was like everyone was from Queens. And I, it was a different families. Everyone was working class, you mean, and it was just cool. It was cool, and every oh, so much music comes from Queens. I mean, even uh, 
Even a great blues, a blues musician for Queens. You know, they all went for Queens and lived in, in lived in Queens. So, so Louis Armstrong, all these guys lived out there. You know what I mean? Gizzy uh, Gillespie, all those guys that lived in Queens. So it was cool, man. So what's uh, what's super interesting if you if you read some of the old school shit, you'll see people talk about the guys who traveled into the first A seven and. Max's Kansas City shows, and they're like, "Oh, they were coming in from the suburbs, from Queens." And you're like, "The suburbs of Queens." <laughs> but I, I wonder for you, being young, yeah. obviously, uh, you are so multicultural. Your mother's Spanish, but you're also Jewish. Your father was Polish. And for me, did you run into someone in school, or did you just walk by someone at the pizza store? How did you first interact with hardcore in your neighborhood? Holy shit, that's crazy, yeah. Uh. Well, well, on my block, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy block, Seventy Street, Thirty uh, First Avenue, right by McClancy High School. Uh, it, was, it was called the Zoo Crew. These, these guys were like from Astoria and from Jackson Heights. So they were like Cuban, Irish, uh, Italian. They were just, just crazy guys. I mean, like, and uh, they, you couldn't go into the neighborhood. You know what I mean so? These guys would fuck you up. So if you look different. You look like, yeah, even the poor punk rockers back then, they're, they're like, like seven of them just come down a block and he caught your cat's beatings from the, like the Bowden brothers and O'Brien's. You know what I mean? They were like, they're the fucking punk rock shit. But I used to see all, I used to see seven of them all the time in the early 80s that they would, we used to call them the sham boys. They used to wear uh, like uh, shams and, uh, you yeah. know, like, like, like Playboy Jacks and uh, jams and all that. But they were like new wave kids. And, and the, the, the older guys used to fucking, like, like, I tortured them, you mean? And I, and I was like, I saw them with the skateboards and all this, you know, all the, the, hair, the, the punk rock uh, haircuts, and I was like, what, what the fuck is that, you mean? Then, in my neighborhood, I went to school in uh, June 1910, and my boy John, with John Dresser, Jimmy, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy's brother. Jimmy's brother. So, we used to steal his weed and stuff, you mean? We steal Manila envelopes from, from Jimmy from the house. And then he's like, yo, my brother, you know, we used to write graffiti, me and John, eighth grade. And, and I was like, Murphy's Law, what the fuck's that? You know what I mean? Then I got into fucking, I got into hardcore. Fucking like all the time looking at uh, uh, Louie, uh, I forget Louie from, from Astoria, Greek Lou. All these guys went to Bryan High School. And Bryan High School had everyone from Astoria and it was all hardcore kids. I was into, into hip hop first, then metal, then I got into hardcore. Now, and, something and that freestyle. Was... I love freestyle. Free, Hell freestyle. Yeah. Yo, yo, you, yo. If you came from the 80s and you didn't hear a Monte Carlo and the 808s dropping, yes. then you didn't grow up in the fucking 80s. Yo, I, I, love, I love Stevie B. I love TKA. I love uh, 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 fucking uh, Lisa, Lisa, Lisa. You know, so, all, all those, all those. It's like so crazy. I'm like, I love freestyle, man. So. so so let me ask you something now. This is like a, like a legit thought. Obviously, graffiti is something that is not only runs hand in hand in New York City, but in every inner city at the time in the 80s. Obviously, you saw the cardboard boxes out there, breakdancing, hand styles. Yep. What do you think, looking back on this whole time, what got you off the corner and into the punk rock shows? Because my, for me, I always wondered, because you're a straight neighborhood dude. I grew up in the neighborhoods. Yeah. For, what What do you think? Was it the music or was it the friends that pulled you out of the neighborhood? So I, 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 I'm going to tell you the difference between, uh, like, uh, I was so into hip hop, my block, and we—I I, uh, I used to break dance, and uh, and you know I got to graffiti at St. Mike's Park. It was a park, and we hit, and uh, the older guys 
and hit it. This is the weird thing about people don't understand it, about hip hop and graffiti and people early on, but the new kids probably understand. But early on, everyone thought that the kids, that, you know, it's like like graffiti was like uh, just for, uh, like, like, like with the older white white kids, like white people, like, yo, stop writing graffiti. Like, only black people do that. So I'm sure, like, you're like, what the fuck? You're going to be like, bug out. But we're like, yo, they, like, people don't understand that graffiti in, in New York City were done by fucking like metalhead white boys, like scene, older, Andrew Duster, Craze, all, every fucking, and they, and even, even the black kids that did it in, in Queens, they were like metalheads, you mean? It was crazy. All love the Black Sabbath and stuff like that, and the Who, you mean? So, so there's, to me, with right graffiti, there's no color barrier, you mean? There was like nothing, it was like, everyone just wrote graffiti. So it was like metalheads and hip hop kids all together, it's right graffiti, you mean? So, and from the neighborhood, that's how you get out of the neighborhood. That's how the first one in my neighborhood was Ryan graffiti, you mean? Take the trains and going out of places and, and Ryan graffiti. Then going to the city was going to, to uh, to CBGB's, you know, 1987 was my first show ever. So I took, uh, you know, it's, and back then in the 80s, taking the train, because we didn't have no cars, and then we were city kids, you know, we took the, we took, we had to take the train to CBGB's, which was the Low East Side, which was a fucking war zone, you know? So going to the show, coming back from the show, get off the train, you know, you could get killed any moment, you know? So. Now we so, had the same. We had the same thing. Only we didn't have. We didn't have those multi-track uh, systems. Yeah. We had the L, and the L started in my block. So by the time we would go, couple L stations, there could be 30, 40 of us on the train. Skinheads, punk rockers, yeah. all ready to go down the train, and people are tagging up. So I, I relate to that heavily. But what my question was, obviously, when you're young, you're talking about being sixteen, going to LES. Was yeah. it the excitement of LES that kept you from just being a quarter boy? What kept you? What got well, you? Out of the I know, listen, this is crazy. So um, when you're young, you're, you're, you're high school. You meet a whole bunch of kids that you that aren't from your neighborhood, from other neighborhoods, yep. so, like from yep. Woodside Projects, Story Projects, Ravenswood Projects, Queensbridge. You know, they all went to my school. You know? So. And I would play basketball against people from other neighborhoods. You know I mean? So I go to the park. So that was the first thing that I, I'll get out of my neighborhood playing basketball. Then they'll meet my friends at school, go to their house and my graffiti, like, like you know what I mean? So that was cool. But then I was like, there's more, you know, like, like something, there's more out there. The kids I was with, I grew up with, we grew up graffiti, but they didn't leave the neighborhood. Uh, they they were playing it safe a little bit, some of them. Or And, I was, and we had... We were going to wars with other other crews like TA Seven and stuff like that, uh, and some of the guys got caught up. The houses got run, run on or jumped, and they, they weren't built for it. You know what I mean, so I was like, "There's more people like me." So one time, I was like, um, "Let me let me go." Let, I went to the the numbers of records. It's a record store in Jackson Heights, biggest all underground. You want your all your metal, your hardcore, and I went out there. I'm in numbers of records. You could buy all the patches for the back, like Anthrax, Metallica. Uh, fucking testaments, anything, all metal shit. And it also has hip hop stuff, Mantronics, stuff like that. And one time we walked in there, I was with my boy JM, KMA, and all of a sudden I saw some skinhead guys look at me. What happened that day? They were like, what's up? <laughs> and I was like, what up? And they looking at me, like staring me down, like, what the fight? It was fucking Hoya and fucking Beto and these guys. And I was like, were they, were they repping Sunrise then or were they just doing they, their own thing? They're doing their, their, it was Beto, Hoya, and these niggas doing their shit. And we're like, what's up? And, and, and we're looking at each other. And we're like, we're, we're like yeah, whatever. A week later, we, we met me and Q and Hoy, we became best friends at the park. And it was just funny that Hardcore brought us there. 
We looked at the thing. Then we, they're like, yo, let's go to the show. And we went to, we started running shows. And so you think linking up with them was kind of like the thing that pulled you from being a neighborhood kid to become like a hardcore kid. Yeah, you know, I, I always, I always like, like I moved from from Jackson Heights to Woodhaven, and it was further out. And then I was like, uh, I would, I would somehow get to Hoy's house, and we go to the city together. But uh, yeah, it was like, you know, but then we were in the neighborhood too. We still were in the neighborhood. You know I mean, but we had so much beef in the neighborhood, other neighborhoods. It was crazy, but we loved going out to the city. But the city was like, oh shit, it was like open twenty four seven. You know I mean back then everything was open? It was like a, a, it always was a uh like a, 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 a adventure you know i mean so it was, it was great it was great it's like as a kid getting all that like stuff like drawn in you know I mean? stimulating your fucking mind you know I mean so it was crazy i i loved it man i loved it i mean i i i still have to be out sometimes like even i'm older and I love being in my house. I love being, you know, being with my lady and just like you know, just hanging out after I do whatever I do. But just sometimes I just gotta get out. You know I mean, like a wild animal. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking about mid 1980s. Obviously, you're fucking with some metal. I know you had an older brother who passed, but really, yeah, he's, he's younger, younger, younger. Oh, he was younger. I thought he was older. Yeah, he, I remember. No, I remember the memorial and shit. From. Yeah. So yeah, check yeah, it. Yeah. What was that first hardcore song or first hardcore band that flipped the switch for you? Uh, that's, that's, I, the first Murphy's Law album was one of the, for the first albums that uh, I was just telling my girl and I were listening to the other day. Like the first albums that ever, like pushed. First of all, just looking at the cover, it was like almost like graffiti. You mean so? You're like, yeah. oh shit! So you want it right there? Just graffiti. It's like Daniel. It's like then damn. It's like when you heard it, the green vinyl, and yeah. I was like, the, the songs are so. Even my, even my my brother loved it. It was like. uh uh, Sit Home and Rot was like, we used to sing all the time. Sit Home. It was like, it was great. It's like certain albums and album covers do something to you when you look at it. When Absolutely. I, when I, look, I, for some reason, when I think about, think about fucking Philadelphia, I always think about the Pagan Babies graffiti cover, man. Fuck yeah. Always Fuck yeah. fucking think about that. Fuck. Yeah, because it's like, it's always a, a thing between New York City and Philly about the, who wrote the first graffiti, you know that? It's, Philly has its own style. It's it's crazy because I always think about yo that pagan baby fucking cover was ill. You mean that was like some oh absolutely shit. It's still one of my favorite. That's still one of my favorite records, and it's also yeah. one of the best covers for that time. Yeah, a lot of people don't even know about that. You know I mean, I'm like out out of the tri-state area, man. You know I mean like it's like weird. It's like like I, I I always thought that that was it, but the that uh, uh, Cro-Mags uh, Angel Quarrel was something that just like blew my fucking mind, man. I couldn't understand. Like how hard every single song, every single song. There's not one filler song on that no. album. No. And Le Leeway, Born to Expire. That was fucking like because I, I love metal and those shit was like holy shit. You know what I mean? It was like those three things. But I used to the thing they should, the band used to make me really love going to live shows was Underdog. I mean, they they, they combined everything. Yeah, I just so. actually um, for me when I think about you coming up in the hardcore and just being a neighborhood kid. One of the coolest things, because it happened to us is we'd be out on the street before the show would start yeah. and you turn and you'd look and there's the guy who sings in the band. <laughs> you'd be like, Oh shit. Do you think, do you think because unlike metal where we have to, where they got the barricade, you don't see the thing. Yeah. You think as a street kid, you connected because you got to walk up and say to Jimmy, yo, I love your record. And there was that love. Do you think that helped keep you from like, Nah, there's some rock and roll shit. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that was the best thing ever. You felt part of something, a family. So, like, you go CBGB's, and all of a sudden, you see insanity, like, control chaos. And like, CBGB's is as big as, as our, like, apartments. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, but then you go to a concert, and you see, like, Maiden, which I love fucking Maiden. You know what I mean? But you go to concert, you're, you're, in, you're in the nosebleed seats. And uh, it costs fucking twenty dollars for a beer and a hot dog. You mean it's like, it's like and it's it's like, oh, I saw them, but I'm tired. I gotta go home. But when you see Memphis Law, you're part of it. You jump on stage, Jimmy, give me the mic. You know what I mean? It's like you're part of the show. Then you're outside and you see him. He'll say hello to you. I mean, that's that's that blew my mind was when I was a kid. You mean so? No, I, I, I related so heavily for me. It was like linking up with some of the older Philly guys and then like knowing the vision guys and knowing these yeah. guys have been, it was really important at that stage, especially when you're a teenager, cause you're looking to, you're looking to join something and be a part of something. Yeah. definitely. And that's instead the, of just trying to be like a fan, you want to be in with something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I guess like you know, when you're part of the scene, it's like, it's like, yo, everyone, you know, so many characters, it's like a neighborhood, so many fucked up characters. And a lot of these guys you see every weekend at a show, but you don't know anything about them. You know? To me, I used to go up to the people and be like, yo, where are you from? You mean like ask questions because like I see I've been seeing you for the last four years of my life. I don't even know your fucking name. You mean know? it's it's so it's it's so insane. But I, I remember one time I was on uh, the whole stupid shit with Rick to life on the horse. Uh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Up and up up and up in New York. Yeah, with a hippie commune and we're all on acid. So I was on acid in the in the hippie commune. Those guys are on the horses. We all went horses. So Jimmy was all they're all gone, right? So I'm on the I'm on the, a canoe, right? A, a rowboat. But on the rowboat is the guys from Iceman. You know, it's Carl from oh, Iceman. Carl. R.I.P. Carl. Oh, rest in peace, Carl. And he went on ice and his boy that played for M13. Remember the kids that played? They were they were graffiti kids. They were from CM, uh, Constipated Mon Monkeys, you know, Curious George, those guys were uptown. But they were Jersey Ghost of Division. So I, I didn't know. So I was like, yo, I said, like, yo, Carl, what's up, bro? I said, like, where are you guys from? Where are you from? And I was like, yo, I live in Jersey. And then I was like, oh, you're <laughs> so you think you're from Jersey? They were, they were bugging out because I was throwing acid. Like, they were dying. I go, what are you? Are you Puerto Rican? He goes, no, I'm a Sicilian. I was like, oh, yeah, it's holy shit. Sicilian. Yo, listen. Blew my fucking mind. You know what niggas ask questions? I said, I want to ask this nigga. So uh, I remember I was on ask and said, Hoya, Hoya, call fucking Sicilian. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. But they were laughing. He's like, only people in Queens do shit like that. You mean? Yeah. What are you? you know? like, but, but it was, but I, but I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh shit. And I, I you know, so, and you know, when you hear he passed away, you like, I was like, oh man, this fucking sucks because the dude, you know, the Icemen were fucking dope, man. And they never get Dude, that record. Too. That record never yeah. got the love it deserved. Yeah, it, it never got the love it deserved. And if you're a metalhead, you know, it's not, the guitar tone is totally Ozzy. You know, like, you know, you know like, it's like, it's just crazy. You know, the ultimate sin vibes. You know? So uh, uh, we would go up there because he would book Dysphoria and PA bands. And he yeah. gave me a stack of that band Dynamo, his seven inch, to help him get it. Yeah, that's out. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. The kids were and Dynamo, he was the one of the. And he was one of the coolest, most genuine dudes. He talked a lot about the old days. Like, um, it sucks like to just think about, and this is where we're going to, like, you grew up as a child. Like, you know, I, I came into hardcore when I was 14, 15. Yeah. You came into hardcore when you're 16. Yeah. This became your family and your world. And now as we start getting older, we see these pe pe people keep passing. And it's crazy because you went from being the young boy to now you're the guy 
that people yeah. walk up and say hi to. Yeah, but this is the most fucked up thing that that's why a lot of these people are dying. That you know, it's sad, but and it's, it's due to health. You mean like like, yeah. like the years of fucking partying, doing crazy shit, not taking care of himself? You know, it's like I, I listen to John Joseph. And I understand what John Joseph is, you know, like he like like he's doing, and and it's uh, give him props for like sharing the information to people. You mean so? My thing, you know, my thing is that my thing's like this. You know, if you don't if you don't hurt women and children, you mean. You're cool with me. You understand? Like, 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 you can believe whatever. A lot of these dudes believe. A lot of these uh, dudes and bands that we know are devil worshippers and shit like that. Like, yo, <laughs> I'm like, yo, bro, like, yo, you're bothering. Yo, it's like you used to get mad. You're mad at people for doing drugs. You're worshiping the devil. Chill out, me. You mean like you say? It's like, and, and I, my name is Danny Diablo. <laughs> That's all. It makes you laugh. It's like, yo, you do what you do. You mean like my friends are some friends are. Don't do drugs. Some do drugs, but it's like I tell people: once the party's over, once you got you, you are you need to get high to to do anything, just like to play a show or or anything, or get drunk, just to, like to to socialize. There's a problem there, right? You mean it's like I, I it, whatever it gets you through your day. If that's you, but like my thing is like I do stuff. I do. Uh, I work hard. You mean, and when I do any kind of project, a movie or art, art, finish something. I, I like on the weekend, I'll, 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 I'll party like once or once or once once a weekend. You know, some some of these people don't know when to stop, and it's like at an age if you're older than forty years old and you're fucking going on three day benders, you gotta check yourself, bro. Because you know, people are dying every day. You know. Now, I actually said on the Zach episode that we had because he was talking about when he toured with you. Yeah. He was like, yo, man, he kept it on point. And I remember you played a show for me and yeah. everybody in your band's partying. You're like, I got to count the fucking merch, man. I got time to be partying. I got to, I got to wear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, because it, it is a business. You know, you, you know that and it's like, it is a business and it hurts sometimes that you put all this time and effort in it. And then all of a sudden you come back and like, what the fuck? You know, and, and, and it's like, oh man, I got, I, I need more stability. I mean, so it's a, it's an on, ongoing thing with me. We're battling like I'm, I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm living, but if I had a regular job, I'd, I'd be way more secure. That's all I have to say. I mean, I remember uh, Anthony telling me uh, his dad got you in the in the union one time, and yes. I'm, I'm I'm a union concrete guy. I heard you were in the local yeah, bricklayer. I was a bricklayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I just always thought I'm like, man, Isaac is a bricklayer. Is a different look. <laughs> oh, listen, yo, listen. I met a lot of good people. From the school, going it was still cool. You mean like like yeah. I did a whole bunch of like like I remember for two years I was a bricklayer, a big time into bricklaying and a union and stuff. And so you thought that the hardcore she had some crazy fucking animals. Oh, oh my god! I, I went to school with dudes all the Bronx, now Albanians, Irish, Italian, these type of but uh, Jamaicans that they were fucking oh, there'll be fights every day outside of school. Let's go, you mean? guys, guys, are hard, hard dudes, a hard, hard profession, man. He's never what? a young retired bricklayer. I'll tell you that now. They're, they're like eighty nah. years old, laying bricks, laying, laying, you know, laying bricks. Strongest hands, never. Oh, yeah. Scary old uh, man, man. <laughs> what's What's awesome is there's a dichotomy between the chaos and like the fluidity of you being just like this wild front man. Yeah. Every band you've had has yeah. had serious legitimate players. Yeah. Like, like legitimate. I'm talking about you had Dijon, you had Demi, you have, you've had yeah. so many people in all of your bands, Zach. I mean, you've had Riggs, you have so many legitimate musicians yeah. that 
it's one of the it's one of the things like oh it's Isaac yeah Isaac's in the front but this is a solid. No, people, people don't understand. That's what I was trying to explain to someone the other day. People understand that you know it. it a lot of these people who play these great musicians have families and have work a regular job and they, they love the music so that's why they do it. I mean, so and they and then they then they have to deal with me because this is my life. I'm not a weekend warrior. You know, just I, I just I do all day. So. My my mind frame is different. I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm like, how can I get the most money but put it under the table so you know so people don't know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yo, I'm trying all these things. You know what I'm talking about? I, I can get half the check and get other cash in my hand. You know, shit like that. I'm like, and they don't stand. You know, everything, every T-shirt I give away, every uh, um, uh, seven inch I give or CD I give someone, it, it's coming out of my money every time I I, I do I record. And bring someone on the road with me and fly them out. They don't stand. I'm paying. That's all getting paid out of my money for my my advance. You mean? And, and, and at the end of the thing, you got like 250 bucks. Pat, <laughs> so. you had one of the craziest tours of all time, where you had uh, Lord Wyland, you had <laughs> you had Eddie Leeway and Stress oh, and Zach God. all together. Yes, yes. That made you the least. That made you the least craziest dude on this. I had my boy Diesel, who was a little rock who who was Snow. Remember Snow and former? He was his hype man, and he did he did something Judgment Night. Oh, he did some other like movie with him, uh, Sunsplash. And boy, I had all those guys, and it was totally insane because like, like I shout shout Eddie. I hope he I hope he gets better. Andy Leeway is a great person. He's from Stormy Queens. I grew up, you know, like, you know, when you're young, like Eddie Leeway, Harley Flanagan, John Joseph, Jimmy Gestapo, Anthony Kaminali, Richie Birkenhead. Those guys I looked up and I wanted to be. I mean, yeah. Yeah, people can say all this and that. Even the dudes I had beef with, whatever, I, I, I'm not going to lie. You know that. I'm going to tell you straight up. But like, when I looked at those guys, it, it, like, like I, when I met those guys, I, it meant something to me, and, and knowing that was cool. And, you know, even if, if something happens in, in life and you got a problem with someone, it, it, it does hurt sometimes. I mean, sometimes, you know, like life is life. The beef, right? the beef goes to the side when you know they're going down in a bad way. Yeah, it's, it's, it sucks. Even so, you know how it is. Even someone that, who's used to be a boy for a long time and does something bad and something has to happen, you still feel bad. Right? Yeah. Well, no matter what. There's a part of you that the beef only exists because you cared about the motherfuckers. You're like, damn, what the fuck? Why'd you do this? And, and you know what? And, and life is so fucked up. You're too short. Like, like people, I see people fight over stupid shit. Like, like, like now beef, a, a beef, my, you know, Joe, beef in, in our circle, but Turk is, it's not going to be small. It's going to be something, you know what I mean? I, I don't Absolutely. Think that's and I don't want to, you know, my, I'm at an age that I want to just enjoy my life. You know what I mean? And, yep. But I feel sometimes like, oh man, like, why did that person do that? And like, it's like, and you know what's gonna happen, but they, they, they some, some of the older guys are so fucked up and, and bitter. <laughs> it's, it's like they want everyone else to be bitter. It's like, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be like that anymore, bro. You know what I mean there's a whole world in hardcore music? Our music is worldwide, bro. And now with the internet, it's it, it, it's even bigger with the, all the bands and stuff like that. So I, I just wish people would just start to work on the same page. That's all. You know, that's all. I, I saw I saw you at a very young age in Crown of Thorns, and then I saw Scarhead. But one of the coolest things I think is that I read a zine where you were talking about 
just being blessed to be taken on the road for the first time. And that happened to me as an 18 year old kid. So how much oh. did your worldview change the first time you got to go on the road and leave New York and actually see? Well, other I, would, I would say right, right now, I want to say uh, a condolences to uh, Pete and Luke Hall's mother passed away. And, and uh, oh, that sucks. And, and sucks. Right. And I would say uh, my condolences to the whole Coca-Cola family. So, uh, uh, yeah, Pete, well, Pete and Luke, sick and roll, took me on the road in 1992. Uh, it was sick and roll, sheer terror. Uh, well, it was a, it was a fuck. Uh, what's the guy? Biohazard. That's the first. Biohazard. Biohazard. I was yo yo on God. I was that was a, I was going to South Street. Remember back when they had the records yeah. in Philly, and yeah. because that because that strip was in Philly. This is why I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah. Now, even though I was a long hair metal kid, I was very young. That's yeah. the first hardcore show I saw. It was sick of it all. Biohazard and Sheer Terror at the TLA, and, and it, it, crazy uh, there was Nazis in the crowd, and during sick of it all, everybody stepped up and started going at them and for us we never saw that because we were going to metal shows and the nazis ran and shit and we were like yes. whoa 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 people fight these nazis and that was my first experience of hardcore <laughs> yeah, was because... your first tour that you were on <laughs> see what happened see, yeah. it, 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 it was crazy because i, ne I never seen that too because like like uh, uh, you know we we know that alan's house had fucking crazy yeah. nazis and, and uh and uh, and I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, what's it called? Uh, Unisound, Reading. Unisound, but what's other place in, in Jersey with the with the casinos are? What's that? What's, what's oh, Atlantic called? City? Yeah, they always Atlantic, had it. AC skins. You know, yep. I, mean, I remember. Remember, I remember one time I walked to Atlantic City, and uh, and I I was I, had, I don't know where I was walking, but it was two, two cents that said AC skins on them, and yeah. I'm just tell the story. I'll just make you laugh. So, so something happened a long time ago, and I had a bounce out of New York. Right? So, so I went to Atlantic City to go, go for a few days, and I had like, like a DMS thing. And also, I see two skinheads looking at me. I had a DMS, but it was a pad. It was just like a shirt. You mean? I said yeah. DMS, and I'm walking, and they look at DMS, and they're like, "What's up?" And they're like, "What's up?" And it was more crazy. Yeah, back in the, the fight I said AC skins. I was like, "Oh my god, they do exist." You mean? It was like yeah. it was like well, so like, like they saw like me. I saw them. Well, so like like how you were talking about graffiti crews in Philly, yeah. there was the old school bad luck dudes. They were tri-state crew. It was Delaware, Philly, and Trenton. Yeah, yeah, so we, came, 13, so right? we yeah, so we came up under them. And yeah. so by the time we came up, you had hammer skins in PA, and then yeah. you had ACS. So we treated it like like strip street gang shit, like, oh, all right, if they see it, like you know, like yeah. Where, where a lot of hardcore kids don't understand this because they look at oh it's Nazis like our Nazis were gang dudes like this was like it wasn't yeah, until the no, late yeah. 90s it wasn't until the late 90s when American History X came out with that pecker wood fake Nazi shit yeah, yeah, yeah. we had gang Nazis so it was like oh, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're like you said it was like letters you're like oh shit yeah. they're repping letters then Boston <laughs> yeah yeah and and, 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 and and it's crazy because people understand all that you know, when people get locked up it's all that's, that's all it is. You got to join whatever you got to join to. You know what I mean? And people are like, how can you do that? Like, when you're locked up, you understand what's going on. You know what I mean? So it's like, when I see people like, like, like you know, if I see Nazi dude, and the dude that we're, we're, we're somewhere, and he says, hey, what's up? What's up? We just like, we just respect each other. We respect each other. That's it. I mean, like, you keep it over, just don't pop off. Man, I won't pop off. Man. So one, one of my favorite Ezak stories is us having Keystone Jam. And this guy walks by with a screwdriver hat, and you punch him, and then you turn and look at me like, "Come on, man, sorry." <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> because my man, he got a fucking screwdriver handle. What do you want me to do? Wait, the, way, the, way, the way he did it was uh, he knew who I was, I was, he kept going around me. That's all that's yeah. why. So they do that purposely because uh, a lot like the feed kids do the same thing. Like, yeah, I saw him, he didn't do anything. You're, you're like, nigga, or like, oh, where was he? I couldn't see, I, I didn't know it was him. How the fuck? Look at me. You know what it looks like, me, motherfucker. You know it was me. You mean? And I hate that. So, so that's why I get punched in the face. You mean? It like was that. a super you funny is because you did it earnestly. You turned him like, yo, my man. It's like, it is what it is. You were <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> no, but as a promoter, you must be like, ah, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, it was just funny. It was funny. Like, of course the Nazi's going to walk right by Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. For me, for me, I, I know that you get you got really involved on the hip hop side, and yeah. I know it's impossible it's impossible to talk about New York City and New York hardcore, and not realize that the hip hop and hardcore walked hand in hand. And oh, so many oh, people, no. so many oh. people in New York City, it's not. Uh, I decided to live a hip hop. It was entrenched in the entire culture. So of course, you're one of these uh, elements where you have one foot in each. Graffiti writer, <laughs> rapper, but you're also a hardcore kid. You also know about the skinhead world, the old English bands. And yeah. so you're one of these unique individuals because you understand the duality between how they both came together. It's a, it's a, it's a, well, Freddie, you know, Freddie Alva did the book. Uh, Louis, about, Louis the hand style hardcore. book. Yeah, yeah. graffiti. And so, and, um, and I, I'm in the first one, and the, the New York hardcore scene, and the new one with the oi, I, I, I did the business one. And I was the first one to hand in my paint, my 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 drawing. The first one picking up the book the other day that sold out. But uh, hold on. But Freddie, he brought it. it it's hand to hand. Graffiti in New York City, Queens is just everywhere. And I was that was the first thing that ever made me like really, really into like a subculture. And I was like, when I was little, I saw graffiti everywhere. I used to go to uh, what really got me to graffiti was. Every summer, my mother, my mother, father would throw me and my, my brother and sister to my abuela's house in Spanish home, East River Houses, the projects. So every every summer I was there. So in, in this project, you look outside the window, it's the the the, the bridge from the movie The, the Wiz. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. He's on down the road with Diane Ross, no. Michael Jackson. So it goes right to my, my mom's projects. And who and and fucking every the summertime I look out the window. And uh, DJ, yo, oh, Casey Dennis was DJ. It's his projects. He okay. lived in my mom's projects. Casey, Dennis, the graffiti writer, what style was. So that's how I really got into graffiti, like watching that shit, going over there, seeing all the fucking all the graffiti on the FTR and all that. Then going to my office, I went to my office with Dondis when I was like 11, 12 years old, going to the city, me and my brother taking the train. And we would take the train from the you know, 74th Street Roosevelt to the City Bank building in, in uh, Midtown, and boom, come back. And we, my brother and I, sit there. And we, I used to watch the trains go by all like, for an hour, just watch sitting down with my brother and take pictures with my Instamatic 110. It's crazy. So, like, what I what I asked you that about is, I wonder how it must have felt at a time when, obviously, because you came in in '87. 88, yeah. 89, the whole youth crew thing expanded and all these kids are wearing these fancy sneakers. They're coming <laughs> from the suburbs. But you guys were infected with this older style. And I want to kind of talk about the mix between the New York City legit hardcore kids and the transplants that were coming for, or not transplants, but the kids that were coming around of town to see oh. all the bands. You know what I mean? Like explain that whole era before I, the CBGBs I, got shut down. 
All right, so check this out. When, when I first when I first went to shows, there were, there was oh, there was way crazier people. So like it was yeah, like, yeah way back in the day. I'm talking about eight seven. Like, yeah. like I I would see these dudes and be like, oh my god, it was scary. It was fucking scary. No matter what you say, when you're a little kid and you see fucking John Joseph, Vinnie Stigma, Holly Flanagan, uh, Roger. It just look, they look fucking nuts back then. You know, and all the all, all other dudes are fucking like, you know, you have to admit in New York City, the people that like our music in New York hardcore, look, they are just the brightest people in the world, the best looking people. You know what I mean? So so you'd be like, oh my God, a little kid. And like you're going there and, and you gotta show show them proof. So so then other kids would come, straightest kids would come. But I I love the fucking the, the, the varsity vest and the fucking champion shit. You know, that's part of graffiti too. We all in A7, we all write the champion hoodies, the the, the big ones, and we and, and we watch a, a champion uh, varsity jackets. You know what I mean? I love that shit, man. Because straight kids wore that all the time, you know? So well, that's what I, I wanted to ask you is how much do you think the diversity was between the New York hardcore and that whole element? And then you look at the hardcore scene today, it looks like one kind of kid. There isn't like a mix. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know what? It's 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 so weird because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna make you laugh. I always think when I see that when kids when people wear they the way they dress now, it's it's, it's almost like a bike messengers and like, like how yeah. people how people in Portland look like in Seattle, how they dress. <laughs> and I, I I always I, to me I always like oh I hated that whole fucking style. I hated like it's almost how do the uh, Phil from Pantera used to dress with the, yeah. the black uh, uh, thermal underneath and the, the cargo shorts underneath with the thermal black thermal. You know, like, it's like the, the bike messenger guy. You mean like that, that yeah. look? Like like I do heroin on the weekends. That's that look. I fucking hate that look. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that I know that you went. I know that you went out with sick of it all, and then I yeah. know that soon after that you decided to do Crown of Thorns, and yeah. I. I'm I'm obviously uh that's like right when I was getting insane with zines. I always remember you being like at the end of Crown of Thorns, you're like, well, I'm gonna start a hardcore band called <laughs> we're gonna call it Scarred. And I always loved that you didn't want to call Crown of Thorns a hardcore band at the time. You're like, no, nah, this isn't really a hardcore <laughs> and now I wanted to know, like looking back at it, like what do you think why you thought do you really think because it, the riffs were different that you didn't think it was hardcore? No, you know, it was a, I, I would tell people like this right now, like it's, it's sometimes like yo, Demi. Me and Demi always talk about this. Like it's like we we didn't know. We all we knew that I didn't know. I never sang for a band before that. All I knew when I was with Mike Dijon, Demi, Franklin, and I were together practicing. That it, the, the the music moved me. Just I knew it was something something special. You understand? So yeah. It, so it bugged me out that that I, I didn't know anything about this, but I know that I was pouring my heart out. And and, and everything that happened on Crown Thorns was from my heart. You know what I mean? From, from from relationships to my brother's suicide. So basically, I needed that. I needed Crown of Thorns to get uh, to stuff on my... I'm not going to see a psychiatrist or anything, so I need to get that off my chest. And that's what that's what people always say, yo, Crown Thorns lyrics are fucking amazing. And and, 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 I, and I'm like, oh shit, I, 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 I was young. I, I, that's all straight from my heart. That's it. That's all I can say. It's just straight from my heart. Pain, yeah, the train, pain, the sorrow, train, and happiness. You know? The train yard blues lyrics and just the emotion that was coming from it was not only the, the genre level risk with Franklin and Demi. That's yeah. probably one of the greatest triple threats you could have between Franklin and like, like, like as musicians. And I always felt 
and I, and I wonder, was it, you know, we all have friends. So you start saying, well, my friends, I, I mean, right at that time, man, ball started picking up. You had H2, you had all these bands in New York that yes. were more hardcore. Were you spurned to be more in a hardcore band because you saw your friends doing this shit? Is that why you did that and switched over? You know what? It's, that's fucking weird to say that because I, but, but like growing up when Madball first came, uh, I, I, I remember Toby and Madball I would like, let's play basketball. I would play ball all day. And Toby's like, I'll do my thing. Toby loves, you know, look, listen to H2O. H2O, H2O is the second. The second wave of pagan babies, and if you listen to the pagan baby record, yes. H2O stole all the pagan baby shit, and I'll and I'll and I'll I'll say that on no, I, I, I listen. <laughs> I always think I always think it's like he stole everything for seven seconds. <laughs> seven seconds of pagan baby, so that's it. Yeah, I mean, so what, what what Toby was doing is I said Toby can really like sing like like uh, Toby is like Nelly Furtado on hardcore. <laughs> like she sings, but it's off key, but she sings it sounds all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, but to, Toby was doing his shit. Then you know, Madball was Madball is coming down from Rogers, so he's he was a royalty and it's in his blood. So I was like, oh shit! And I was like, yo, I was like, what the? Our music's way different. Those guys, we got we got pushing that whole thing. Which who we are, the TMS thing. I was like, we don't sound nothing like Bulldoze. We don't sound nothing like Madball. We don't sound like nothing like uh, H2O. We're, we're our own crowd throws with own shit, but we sound more like Rush than anything else. You know? Yeah, but I mean, but at the same time, is like the right Crown of Thorns show yeah. was still vicious. And that's why it was so funny because, like, at that time, I was watching you pop over the interviews. You'd be like, yo, check out my hardcore band that's called Scarred. I'm like, this motherfucker's in a hardcore band called Crown of Thorns. <laughs> you know, why are saying, like, it's, it, maybe. I was so mad at the at the world because back then they used to do. I remember Victory Records used to do a uh, a comp. Let me comp. Same thing. They, they, oh, the, oh, you talked about the the the, the, the distro mag. Yeah, they, they're talking. I remember all these fanzines were right. Oh, Crown Thorns. Just another. They they wouldn't even listen to our thing. They just because we're DMS. I mean, another beat down sounding band. I was like. Wait a second. These guys Whoa. didn't even listen to us. So they just saw the thing. Oh, ask me this. You mean so? It was like horrible, bro. So I'm just glad that we, we sounded different. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that, that Mike DeJean, Jimmy, and Franklin, we, we grew up in the same neighborhood and we were like, yo, we came together. Like, I guess Jimmy, Mike DeJean, and Franklin were going through crazy shit in their life too. We all were. We were young. That was one of the most unique sounding uh, records in the history of New York hardcore. And, uh, you touched on something that Zach Bulldoze had said. He's like, you know, we linked up with Kevin, and yeah. because the DMS thing started really popping off, we went from being like Jersey guys to next thing you know, we're playing all these shows. And obviously, kids see DMS, you know, they know what it is, but yeah. there was that moment in hardcore where you could go to a show and there'd be three or four DMS bands all kind of coming up. Yeah. And but you guys specifically, and this is something that has to be said because obviously people see you in your own bands. I remember seeing you guys at Life Agony shows, Biohazard shows. Like, yeah, you, yeah. Were, you guys were fans and hardcore people. Yeah, long, long before the the fandom of what DMS bands would bring, and it was kind of like because New York hardcore had shifted so much at the end of the '80s and into the early '90s that you guys became like the new wave of New York hardcore. Yeah, it's crazy because uh, I, I, I like Life of Agony, Biohazard, fucking bands that achieved so much, and I like give them mad respect. Like no one could beat Biohazard at Lamar's. You know, that was like no. that, that, like Slayer. 
was the only like Slayer would, would perform, and every band that opened up for Slayer would get shit on. You know what I mean? But Biohazard fucking killed it. You know what I mean? Every single time. So, fuck, it's amazing, bro. No, nah, it's just a time. I, I think you like you had a special time, and I, I obviously looking at what you're saying about the fanzines. The fucking yeah. fanzines were brutal. They literally were. Like, oh, they were fucking. I think the people, like, and, but that that started from way back. Can you hear me good? Like, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, nah, uh, you're it, good. Started, it started way back then with uh, Maximum Rock and Roll just seeing the whole East, uh, like New York Hardcore. They calling them Nazis and Nazi front Nazis and stuff like that, and I couldn't understand that. It was like weird, but uh, you know. People understand, like, fanzine, the media has the most power. They can change everything, bro. So if you say, hey, this guy is a racist, or this guy did this, and, and, and you know, like, nowadays, everyone says, they, they, they say something on, on the internet, it could fuck someone's whole shit up. Even if it's not true, it's the people get canceled for bullshit. You know what I mean? It's like, well, that's what uh, the hope is with all these podcasts, like me, we got Richie, we got Richie, you got Hoya. Yeah. We got these podcasts to kind of, promote our our movement and our culture so when yeah. someone says what's he what's Isaac about it's not oh he's a fucking maniac it's <laughs> this motherfucker loved hardcore this dude grew up in new york hardcore and because he saw his friends doing one thing the one thing is is yeah you want to jump in and play but there is a party that's like all right you guys are doing this i'm gonna go over here and fuck with this yeah. and you were you were you had a lot of homies very early on like to all the guys who would eventually with the house of pain and stuff, you, yeah. you quickly really said, you know what? I want to put my feet in the world of hip hop, which is, yeah. it probably would have been easier if you just start another hardcore band than try to rap stuff. Yeah, you, know, you know, it, 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 to me, it was a natural thing because like graffiti was natural to me. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so crazy because I want remember in 97, I was like a, 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 a superstar in Japan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was, yeah your own crazy. clothing line. Uh, yeah. I was the first one out there. I had uh, had clothing line, had baseball cards. Had, I did videos out there. It was crazy. So when I see the people who love the Japanese culture, they would come to New York and they'd be like, I remember one time I was at a club, my boy Bill Spector's club, uh, She's the Pills. And, you know, we should, uh, me, my whole neighborhood. So it was my neighborhood. All of us would go down. And, <laughs> and, and it was like, yo. It was, and, and, and I remember one of the hardcore girls, she was like, yo, what, what are you doing here? Like from Japan, like all hip hop? What are you doing here? And she's like, no. and, I, and I couldn't understand. It bothered me. She's like, what, what you, you, you like this music? I said, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, I said, I said, I said my boy throws this party. My, you know, my boy Koopy. Like, like, and she's like, oh, you like rap? I said, but listen, I'm saying, you know that rapper you really hang out with there? My, we're about to rob him right now. We rob your favorite rappers. How about that? So you, so you can go back to Japan and put that in a little fucking zine. <laughs> it was like it was funny, but people don't see it just because they look at you, they think they know you. But that's what that's what you're not supposed to do in life. Never read a book, never read a book, but judge a book by its cover. You mean so? Well, actually, I, you just touched on the next part. So obviously, '90s zine culture was and then the online shit talking. There really oh, is. There really was a moment where you didn't get a fair shake at anything because there was a ton of people like, oh, well, he did this or he did that. How much do you think of the? How much do you think of the? Well, but but think about it. How much do you think of the dark cloud that came from? Oh yeah, that's why I changed my. my, Listen, I changed my name from Lloyd Isaac to Danny Diablo because I was like the negativity. But then I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Uh, I don't change. I don't. I don't. I I really don't. If you ask me a question, anything, I I answer as honestly as I can. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, that's life. I'm, I'm like some I'm, some people pretend they didn't do that, or like, oh, can't do it. I'm like, I, 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 it's like this. When people ask me about graffiti, about beefs, I had graffiti. This happens all the time on the internet. Dudes, I watch the, I watch Angel and Z podcast. The young boys are cool. I was yeah, but people like, oh, like, this, I, I tell the truth. Bro. I'll tell you, I'm like, you know, so you got people. Yeah, but I say, those motherfuckers are crazy. I give props to people I have beef with because everything kept it real. Yo, if, if, you, if you shot at me and fought me and stabbed, we stabbed each other and everything, you're not a pussy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You stabbed me, I stabbed you. You know what I mean? You shot me, you shot, I shot, I shoot you. You mean like, you jumped me, I jumped you, I cracked you in the head with a bat. You know, you, you, yeah, you caught me out there. Man. I'm not going to be like, oh, they caught me out, that pussy. You know, they caught me out, <laughs> I got away because I'm fucking good. That's <laughs> what I do. You know what I mean? So, you know what I mean? So, well, I'm not going to lie about it. Yo, Mike, let's do it to my team. Be like, fuck those niggas. Don't say nothing. I'm like, yo, just tell me. Just, yeah, it's like, yo, it, it's, it, anything can happen. You can walk around the corner to, to the store and get hit in the head with a bat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and I live my life a different way now. You know what I mean? So, my, my mind's like, like, I'll try to be good, good and honest. And be, uh, I treat people the way they, they want to be treated. I want to be treated. So, I say, hello, thank you. You're being cordial, whatever. Some people are assholes and some people get what they deserve. You know what I mean? That's all. That's all I can say in the world. Well, I feel like a lot of what happens is that there's a mythos that comes around you, specifically because of old beefs and people not having the time to say, what's this guy really about? But yeah. like what you said is, you're the first one, please, thank you. Uh, you know, if 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 someone were to bring their lady around the whole squad, there's no yeah. there's no one being scumbags. It's honest gentleman yeah. shit. But yeah. you don't see that because you hear, oh, well, they beat this guy up, or oh, they did this, and it, 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 it clouds the judgment. Clouds it, it, It's also when, you know how it is, when you see people, how they grow up, and uh, what they do, like, like, you see people, they jump. I, I've been DMS since 87, you know what I mean? So I, 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 know, I knew who I was from, from the beginning, you know what I mean? Like, that, that's just my neighborhood, or whatever. But I see people, you know, we see people, they, they yeah. go through different channels, and, and they go here, here, and then they change. They're like, yo, you were cool with me once. Now you you have glasses on and a, and a patch, and you can't say what's up to me. You know, it's like weird. <laughs> you're like, oh, whoa, you, you ride a bike now? You don't think you can, something can happen to you, nigga? Get the fuck out of here, man. But my neighbor don't give a fuck about bikers. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. It's like, you know, listen, I come from a neighborhood, you know, mobsters, cartels. Niggas don't give a fuck about anything. You know what I mean? No. You know, like, if you disrespect, you're going to get fucking dealt with. That's all. That's it. That's it. So you don't disrespect. That's it. Now, and, and another thing, Joe, is that if people got problems, no talking. Like you, as, as a man, you go up to that person and say, hey, there's a problem. You want to fight? Those fights. You go around the corner, one of your friends mediate it, one-on-one, it's over, shake hands, have a drink, you know, soy milk, whatever you guys want to do, and shake hands and hug, and that's it. That's how I think life is, should be. So, I know you got a lot that's going on, so I'm going to ask you two quick questions. And we'll wrap this. <laughs> well, I know, because you said you all got the hours. Yeah, so it's all, it's no, it's all good. I, I, you know, usually we do two, three hours, but we'll get you back on and we'll do more. Definitely. definitely. Joe, I love doing this. Man. I love talking to you. Because I, I can talk to you. But I can see your facial expressions. Your fucking yeah. radio will go crazy. <laughs> good, brother. Good. So, of all the things that you look back on that could have possibly changed your fate with hardcore stuff, is there anything that you really look oh. back and regret on? Yeah, of course. I, uh, I wouldn't have, um, when I was younger, I would crown, this is, shit happens for a reason, but yeah. Crown Thorns was supposed to get before we got signed to Equal Vision, uh, uh, before we signed 
mentally vexed to another uh, planet. Another planet record is a Fred Feldman, which I love. Yep. I mean, it was another profile, which I love profile stuff, you know, run DMC and stuff like that. Uh, Amanda Shear, who was Ted Demi's wife, who uh, Ted Demi did the movie Blow. Uh, he did uh, Yo MC Raps. He's a, he, he passed away. He died uh, doing a pickup game playing basketball, died of a heart attack. But he did a whole bunch of movies and everything. And worked, worked for Def Jam something, Venture Def Jam, under Def Jam, Rick Rubin. She was like, yo, listen, I want to sign Crown Thorns to you guys and Lords of Brooklyn. And I was wow. like, and I was like, looked at it, and this is big time. She uh, like she she worked with Cypress Hill to manage them and all that. And I was like, I said, hey, I, I, Amanda, I would really love to, but I shook hands with Fred Thelman already. Uh, she goes, so yeah. you didn't sign nothing. She, you didn't sign nothing. She goes, and I go, no, Amanda, I didn't. She goes, well, listen, she goes, well, she goes, I admire your fucking your heart and your integrity, but in this in this fucking industry, in this business, mean, yeah. That doesn't mean shit. She goes, that's me. And I looked at her, I was like, oh my God. I felt like, yo, I, 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 I tried to be strong. I was like, thank you, man. And I left. Wow. I like, Damn, I should have signed the papers. Wow. <laughs> but you know what? Crowd wants it well. Uh, another thing, uh, Crowd Thorns was originally, I was, I was going to have Metally Vex produced by fucking, uh, Walker from from the quick, quicksand. Oh yeah, Walter Trebles. Yo, also, so imagine also a Walter, Queens dude. Imagine Walter produce produce mentally vexed. I mean, I think he would have done some sonically amazing shit to just make that record even stand out even that's more. That's what I'm trying to say. So imagine that. I always, always that's the two things in music. I mean, oh, I should have done that. That's all. That's all. So we'll go from regrets to I want to I want to know because we're gonna bring you back on the show because this has been yeah. way too fun. What was your first? Because there's so many, so don't put this as your top. I want to hear your <laughs> oldest. What was your old? What was the oldest? Like first, holy shit, hardcore moment. Was it the first time you grabbed a mic? The first time you staged though? What was your first like all over? Like the first thing that when you got done first doing, it, thought about it. When uh, uh, I saw Murphy's Law and Jimmy Gestapo grabbed me on stage, I I I, I sang. Uh, a panty rave room. <laughs> oh shit! How old were you? I was just eighty-seven. It was eighty-seven? Holy shit! So you were fucking sixteen. That's fucking. Yeah, little kid. I swear. Panty rave. You know what panty rave was? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds. I don't know. That's the movie. <laughs> so it's like it's it's. I thought I'm trying right now. Murphy's Law. No, everyone goes all this crazy, but Murphy's Law really. Brought me through some hard times when I was a kid. Like no one understood me. Those songs were like he. It was like you know, it just made it was like happy. It was like almost like like, like bar music. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's weird shit, bro. You ain't well. It brought me to another if, place. If you if you look at all the old guys, yeah, there will there will be stories consistently about that Jimmy Drescher, aka you know Jimmy G, yeah. was hands down. The best of the front men in that early. He is the best. Era. I'm you, like the people. He is. All right, I want to tell you some crazy. I'll tell you my people. And you're gonna bug out with this girl. Like New York City, the front men ever, the best front men ever in the world that I seen was HR. You mean like, like yeah. we, because bad brains, nothing like that. He's almost like a a mute, like a, 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 a spiritual thing. That like, like like there's nothing like that. But 
from from me as from Queens and watching uh, Timmy Timmy G, most amazing. He make you laugh. He can make you he, he can make you happy. He can make you go crazy. Um, but we had some talented people from the New York hardcore scene that could sing. You know what I mean like, like Eddie Eddie Leeway, Richie yeah. Burke had but you know, into another was fucking his voice was like juice pretty amazing, bro. You know what I mean like absolutely. Uh, Jimmy Williams from Maxwell. Oh, Jim, dude. dude, he's I, so I, fucking talented from nausea to singing an MP. Like, dude, he's unbelievable. Yo, he's drumming. He's like, yo, Louis Armstrong. Hey, drums for you. Yeah. Louis Armstrong's his godfather. I never hey, heard. Yo, I never knew that. No, you know, Louis Armstrong, his uncles wow. are Skip Williams as far as Pink Williams. There's, there's a picture of, of, of Jimmy Williams on a, on, a, on a piano naked and Louis Armstrong playing piano. Wow. Yeah. Yo, yo, so that's why I, I always told Jimmy Williams, if he looked like me, I could sing like that, I, I would be make millions of dollars. <laughs> that's another He's one of good. my all-time favorite fucking uh front men and one of my favorite bands in New York Hardcore is Maxwell. Oh yeah, one well, of the best. They, they don't get recognition and uh Rob, uh Rob from Rob from Black Chain Jack to sing too. Oh yeah, you can sing his little ass. Oh, his big fat ass off. <laughs> well, listen, I know you got an I know you had an hour. And I think we're going to bring you back for another Diablo hour. Give a couple shout outs. Tell us a quickly about, yo, two oh, things. I don't touch two things. I'll tell you. Number one is in 1998, I was living on couches. We had a shutdown L station. The whole septic uh, system was on strike. I rode my girl, uh, a girl's 20 inch bike down to this show, got fucked up, knocked out cold. And I woke up. And you're like, are you? And I got literally, I got kicked out of Robbie Redshee show that Scar had played, and you were in the back, and you're like, are you all right? Are you wicked? And it was like the weirdest thing because it was a Robbie Redshee show at the yeah. YWCA, and I got pulled out of the show, and the first face is Isaac, and I was, I was like, <laughs> instead, yeah, of the okay. gates of, instead of the gates of heaven, it was my boy Diego from Freight Train knocked me out cold, and you're the one waking me up in the back room, like, what the fuck? Number two. <laughs> Number two, the thing I'll say is uh, a couple weeks ago, our boys uh, got you to do a cameo for uh, a friend of ours, Kev Hare. And it was like the fucking funniest thing and made me like literally cry laughing. So oh, shout God. out your socials, shout out your cameo. And oh, I, love, I, I love you so much. And I can't wait to have you back for another show. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, bro. You know, I, I always got, I, I know you since you were a little kid and you always show respect and like, I always see that, like, like you're, you're being from where you're from and being who you are, and, and you, you did it, bro. You, you, you're like, you, you became oh, thank you so much. person in, in, in your scene, and uh, you know, thank you. I, I'm, uh, you get me a Danny Diablo on, on Instagram uh, underscore DMS. Uh, Twitter's Danny Diablo. Uh, my cameo is Danny Diablo. Go, go get a cameo. Uh, I want to say that I just did a new Scarhead Records coming out of Force Five Records called Generators of Violence. Uh, Zach and Demi are the only ones who play on the on the on the on the on record. It's an EP. I uh I got a Travi from Gym Class Heroes on it. I got Caswan from Cat Show Me the Body on it, and I got Lars Fredrickson from Ransom on it. It's the only three people I got on it. Damn, we so, couldn't get Davey Lee Raw for Zach. Damn. I, yo, listen, I, I, there's still there's still a chance he wants to do a little We're still mixing and mastering, so. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but that doing that, I, I got a whole bunch of shit coming out. Uh, what else I got? I got Danny Dell Street CD Volume Number Three, The Trish, hosted by DJ Kaz, coming out on St. Patty's Day. Uh, the Scarhead Generation Violence will be out on Fourth of July. I got the, the group called Spick with uh, Joe Fado, with, with, who was on Live at the Barbecue with Nas. 
He's the one that found Nas and uh, Big Lito together. I'm doing uh, Danny Diablo versus Big Lito, the year of the scumbag EP on Force 5 Records. And also the GLD casting company with Chubby God from Long Island and Lord Jewish. So everything that he just put up there, we're going to have on the show notes for the show. You can check him oh, out. Hold on. Death Star Inferno also. DeathStarInferno.com. God bless. Well, listen, right. Dave, I love you, man. Thank you for being on the show, and I can't wait to Anytime. have you back. Hey, Joe, I love you, brother, man. Peace. I love Philly. Peace. I hope you enjoyed that one. I know E can talk a little fast. I had a blast with him. It was a short one, especially compared to the other episodes. But with the next run of guests, I think we're going to make up for it. Next week, check out Paris Mayhu. This is the first ever YouTube version of the This Is Hardcore podcast. We'll have the links up on YouTube and on our social media. Thank you for supporting us through the first 30. Can't wait for next week. Talk to you all later. Make sure to check out everything on TIHCpodcast.com. Thank you.